Just kidding. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Undead Airlock. A mostly, uh, that is, um, an attempt at, that is to say, uh, an intended-to-be-weekly podcast devoted to making you a more informed, more earnest, and more awesomer horror fan. Uh, much like last episode, and the episode before that, and the episode before that, and the several episodes before that, I am your loyal host, Hannah Selector, and if this is your first time listening, lucky you, I'm starting to get better at this whole podcast thing. And, if you're a returning listener, lucky you, you get to watch me improve, you are the best, and I love you. So we are solidly in the double digits here, folks. I'm excited, I hope you're excited. Next episode of the podcast is going to be a teenager, the 13th episode. I hope it doesn't start smoking pot behind the house or telling me it hates me. Anyway, I referenced some housekeeping stuff on Twitter. Um, I've been doing some back-end stuff on a Facebook page and a... Drumroll, please. Thank you. Possible website! Woo! Exciting stuff going on. I also tried to catch up on all the nice emails and messages and Twitter mentions I've been acquiring. I love hearing from everybody, as always. You guys are so nice and super, super great. Nobody has been mean. I know I keep marveling at that, but, like, I'm on Twitter pretty frequently, and I am surprised to have escaped Twitter unscathed thus far. Maybe Facebook will be horrible. Maybe then someone will tell me I should kill myself. Whatever. What else? What else? Oh! Um... In case it gets by my editing process, that gentle burbling in the background is my saltwater fish tank. I have been turfed from my usual recording spot, uh, my home office, because Jason is finishing up his uh, thesis defense for his PhD. Exciting! And um, I'm currently standing at the dresser in my guest room recording this. It is Sunday, and I have just now started, so I am on top of things in every way possible. What else? What else? Oh! I watched some horror movies over the past couple of weeks that I haven't really talked about. First, The Ritual. I really liked The Ritual. I enjoyed um, the story. I had read the book previously, so I was excited to see it. But the best thing about this movie is the monster design. I was so pleased with that and uh, really enjoyed watching that reveal and hanging out in the creepy woods. I actually downloaded it for a flight, so it was a godsend. I was highly entertained. On the opposite side of that, I also watched Veronica, and I was the opposite of highly entertained. The hype for this movie really did not serve it well. I was told it was the scariest movie on Netflix. I think I read, gosh, it must have been Fangoria or one of those other, like, what I consider to be marginally reputable horror news sites, saying that it was so scary that lots of people couldn't finish it, that it had just, like, blown people's minds. Um, the movie I watched was the most standard possession story ever. Like, it took every trope, every feature, every possible, uh, recycled plot point, threw it all together, and made it into a Spanish-speaking movie, and there was Veronica. That's not to say that the movie wasn't well-acted, because it was, or well-shot, because it was, or that the music wasn't good, because I really enjoyed the soundtrack for the film, it's just that the story was so boring and bad, I could barely get through it, no matter how adorable the child actors were. 
Ugh, but uh, I digress. If you're interested in seeing either one of those movies, they're both up on Netflix. I gotta say, even though Veronica kind of disappointed that Netflix is doing a pretty good job with their horror selections lately, so keep it up, Netflix. So, thus far on the show, I've done a pretty decent job of living up to the undead part of our podcast title. There's been paranormal stuff, spooky nonsense, zombies, monsters, ghost talk, but to be honest, I've been kind of sleeping on the airlock part of the name except in passing. So, this week, we're going to do a little introductory dip into sci-fi horror, the fabulous subgenre of horror from which the second part of the show name comes. In order to understand sci-fi horror, I think it's important to at least briefly go over the idea of science fiction and what qualifies a work for that separate parent genre. Science fiction is largely based on writing or uh, speculative storytelling, but uh, somewhat rational storytelling about alternative possible worlds, technologies, or futures. Quoting Hal Clement, Frederick Pohl, who is one of my favorite sci-fi writers, um, he wrote uh, Gateway, he wrote Starburst, he wrote Merchant Space. um, Anyway, he once said of writing sci-fi that, The author is entitled to one big lie. He can say, for example, that faster-than-light travel is possible or that a time machine has been invented, or that men can read each other's minds. What comes after that may not be a lie, however. It must follow naturally and inevitably from that first premise. So, some common science fiction elements include settings in the future, in alternate timelines, or in a historical past that contradicts known facts of history or the archaeological record. Alternative histories, if you will. Stories like The Man in the High Castle a novel by Philip K. Dick wherein the events of the World War II we know play out quite a bit differently. Some other common science fiction elements are continued or divergent evolution of humans on Earth or on other planets. Think stuff like I Am Legend or uh, Paralandra by C.S. Lewis. Spatial settings or scenes in outer space, on other worlds, or in subterranean Earth. Sirens of Titan, At the Earth's Core, City of the First Time. Huh. Unintentional World War II theme going on here. Neat. Non-human characters and creatures that might include aliens, Mass Effect trilogy, mutants, X-Men, duh, robots and artificial intelligence, iRobot, or augmented humans and other predicted or imagined beings. You star Wars, you star Trek, you star Gate, etc. Also, Speculative or predicted technologies, such as ray guns, lightsabers, and other advanced weapons, faster-than-light travel, teleportation, brain-computer interface, bioengineering, neuroprosthetics, super-intelligent computers... (gasps) But wait, there's more. You've also got new or different political and social systems, including utopian, dystopian, post-scarcity or post-apocalyptic worlds, futures, and governments... For reference, please see, like, almost every science fiction work, almost ever. And we get scientific principles that are new or that contradict accepted physical laws, like time travel, preternatural abilities such as mind control, telepathy, and telekinesis, like the Force, other universes or dimensions, and the ability or technology to travel between them. Whew. Alright. Was I trying to show off my sci-fi muscles for you just now? Yes. Does that in any way minimize my love for sci-fi or the trueness of these facts? Fuck no. Sorry, Mom. In addition to these common elements, sci-fi is also sometimes split or categorized into two separate disciplines. 
hard and soft science fiction. Hard and soft science fiction refer to the popular distinction between the natural sciences, like physics and chemistry, and the soft sciences, like anthropology or history. The terms hard and soft science fiction were first used in print by Schuyler Miller in a review of John Campbell's Islands of Space. This interview was printed in the serial magazine Astounding Science Fiction, a sci-fi publication that lives on today as analog science fiction and fact. Hard science fiction is characterized by an emphasis on scientific accuracy in its speculative or projected elements. Some examples of hard science fiction are 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or 2001 A Space Odyssey. The complementary term, soft science fiction, is formed by an analogy to hard science fiction. Soft science fiction tends to include works that are based on social principles like psychology, economics, political science, sociology, or anthropology. The term can describe stories that are focused primarily on characters and emotions. Some of the early members of the soft science fiction genre were Alfred Bester, Fritz Lieber, Ray Bradbury, and James Blish, who were the first to make a radical break from the hard science fiction tradition and take extrapolation explicitly inward, emphasizing characters and characterization and human motivations. A work that is categorized as soft science fiction may focus more on society and politics, such as George Orwell's 1984 or Daniel Key's Flowers for Algernon. Or it might be simply scientifically inaccurate, like any of the Star Trek iterations or Frank Herbert's Dune series, both of which are dear to my heart. While some sci-fi fans have their preferences, neither hard nor soft science fiction is better or more sci-fi-y than the other. The distinction is really just a helpful tool in understanding different ways of writing and enjoying the genre. So, with all that handy knowledge in mind, you may be saying to yourself, but Hannah, I thought we were going to talk about sci-fi horror. To which I say, relax, I got this, you worry too much. To which you say, but how do we get from here to science fiction horror? Pretty simple. Smash the genres of horror and sci-fi together and you've got it. But here's a mini breakdown. Pretty broadly, sci-fi horror is defined as a subgenre of both sci-fi and horror that uses scientific experimentation, speculation and advances combined with futuristic settings, space travel, and or non-human characters as a source of fear. The huge amount of diversity in both of the parent genres allow for a multitude of ways for scares to play out. You've got scientific advancement being used for evil ends, creating new dangerous life forms, uh, man's hubris leading to horrific consequences because of our reliance on technology or insistence on pushing weaponry to the brink, alien monsters, menacing protagonists. Greetings from the future, it is I, and it's Hannah. I feel the need to clarify that I meant aliens are menacing the protagonists. Protagonists don't need to be scary to be genre-appropriate. My voice just lilted weird there for some reason. Back to the show! or simply the horror of being trapped in outer space all by yourself. The potential existence of other timelines or universes also provide a source of ontological dread. Like most subgenres of horror, science fiction horror was founded in the pages of great literature. Arguably, the first work of the subgenre was Mary Shelley's novel Frankenstein, which was published in 1818. A few of the notable sci-fi horror themes that crop up in, or perhaps more appropriately originate in Frankenstein, are the danger of the pursuit of knowledge, the augmentation or technological modification of the human body in pursuit of progress, and the study of fringe sciences and pushing of known scientific limits. 
The protagonist, Victor Frankenstein, attempts to go beyond human limits and access the secrets of life and creation. But Victor's actions eventually result in the destruction of everything that is important to him and everyone he has ever loved. Victor's obsessive hatred of his own creation also eventually drives him to death. Some other examples of classic sci-fi horror include works by Edgar Allan Poe, like The Facts in the Case of Elm Valdemar or The Unparalleled Adventures of One Hans Fall, works by H.G. Wells, such as The Time Machine and War of the Worlds, or any number of stories by H.P. Lovecraft. Following in literature's footsteps as usual, film has also made great contributions to the sci-fi horror subgenre. In fact, for whatever reason, sci-fi horror films as a whole tend to be viewed as synonymous with sci-fi horror. Unfortunate, but true. Horror is so much more than movies, people. Damn. Anyway, this doesn't discount the great works of film that populate sci-fi horror. These types of movies first started appearing in the early 1900s, but were pretty few and far between. Think Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, etc. Really, sci-fi horror films didn't hit their stride until about the 1950s. But when they did hit it, they hit it hard. There was an explosion of sci-fi horror flicks from 1950 through 1967, including greats like the 1958 version of The Fly and War of the Worlds. And some not-so-greats, such as The Green Slime, Night of the Big Heat, and Goke Body Snatcher from Hell. But when it comes to sci-fi horror movies, it all comes back to Alien, doesn't it? For those of you who have been living on another planet, or perhaps in a subterranean mole person colony, Alien is a 1979 science fiction horror film directed by Ridley Scott. It stars Sigourney Weaver, love her, Tom Skerritt, Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, John Hurt, Ian Holm, and Yafet Koto. It is the first movie in what became the larger Alien franchise. The film's title refers to the highly aggressive, incredibly strange extraterrestrial creature, the world-famous Xenomorph, that stalks and attacks the crew of a spaceship. Dan O'Bannon wrote the screenplay, drawing upon previous works of science fiction and horror, and adapting the script, from a story that he co-authored with Ronald Shusett. The eponymous alien and its elements were designed by a Swiss artist named H.R. Geiger. Now deceased, Geiger was best known for his haunting images of humans and machines linked together in a cold, biomechanical relationship. And though the artist is gone, Geiger's work remains on permanent display at the museum named after him in Switzerland. Concept artists Ron Cobb and Chris Foss also worked to design the more human aspects of the film, such as the spaceship, the crew quarters, uniforms, and machinery. Now, despite Alien's age and uh, generally mixed reviews when it first came out, it has received much critical acclaim over the years, particularly for its realism and unique spatial environment. Alien is cited as one of the best films of 1979, and in fact, despite giving Alien a bad review in 1980, Roger Ebert actually revised his opinion in 2003, and included the movie in his Great Movies column, calling it the most influential of modern action pictures and praising its atmosphere, pacing, setting, and scares. David McEntee also lauded Alien as possibly the definitive combination of horror thriller with science fiction trappings. McEntee described how the film appealed to a variety of audiences, saying, Fans of Hitchcockian thrillers like it because it's moody and dark, gorehounds like it for the chestburster, and science fiction fans love the hard science fiction trappings and hardware. In other words, THE science fiction horror movie. Numero uno. 
In 2002, Alien was deemed culturally, historically, and or aesthetically significant by the National Film Preservation Board of the United States, and it was inducted into the National Film Registry of the Library of Congress for historical preservation. Obviously, Alien has left its mark on the film industry and the sci-fi horror subgenre, and it is seen as one of the most influential science fiction horror movies of all time. Science fiction horror movies, in addition to subject matter like aliens and space travel, also frequently feature radioactive monsters, science experiments that have gone horribly wrong, natural disasters, horrible plagues, and mutagenic viruses. Zombies. Heh, <laughs> got both the undead and the airlock there. I apologize, that was really, really corny. Science fiction horror spans all entertainment media nowadays, and you can enjoy not only books and movies, but games, comics, television shows, conventions, and podcasts too. So what do I recommend for you to expand your sci-fi horror knowledge? To please your sci-fi horror palate? To buff them sci-fi horror muscles? Well, let's see if I can shill some stuff without repeating too much from previous shows. Ah, uh, ugh. As far as books go, Frankenstein, obviously, is the place to start if you haven't read it yet. As a former high school English teacher, it is an absolute must from me. Let's see here. Um, there's Dreamcatcher by Stephen King, if you're looking for something that's a little more modern. Uh, Dreamcatcher's also been made into a movie, which was on Netflix at some point but may not be anymore. You can double-check me on that. Uh, like I said earlier, pretty much anything written by H.P. Lovecraft, even though he was a terrible racist. I would avoid earlier Lovecraft. I like The Shadow Over Innsmouth personally. I know I've said it before, but I can't recommend Ubo by Steve Resnick Tem enough. I really loved it. Um, there's Black Mad Wheel by Josh Mallerman. The End Body Problem by Tony Burgess. There's really no shortage of great sci-fi horror novels out there, so get reading. Film-wise, check out Alien if you've never watched it. Predator is also a classic. I would not necessarily recommend Alien vs. Predator, but I leave it up to taste. Uh, watch The Fly with Jeff Goldblum. Uh, the Thing. Uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, that is. Event Horizon is great. War of the Worlds. The original, not the Tom Cruise version. You know, like the classical sci-fi horror film canon. Watch it all. Man, I probably should have written some stuff down for this. Um, ooh, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness is a pretty neat, underrated film. I would classify it as sci-fi horror, though some people might argue with me on that. Um, but regardless, it's definitely worth a watch. And, um, let's see here. Oh, and if you've never watched Attack the Block, that's a great sci-fi horror comedy. It was really endearing and super fun and great monsters. I absolutely loved Attack the Block. Hmm. Other media. Hmm. Oh, right, right, right. Sci-fi horror video games. Well, Dead Space, of course, but I said I'd try to say something that I haven't talked about on the show. Oh, I've been falling down so much on playing video games that I really don't have a whole lot new to offer. Jeez. Um, I don't think I've talked about System Shock. You guys should play System Shock. There's a good classic sci-fi horror video game. The first System Shock game came out back in 1994, I believe? It was a PC game, and you play as a hacker trying to defeat an evil artificial intelligence. Good stuff. Check it out. What else? Soma, I know I've said that. Prey, I've said that. Resident Evil, I've said that. Observer. 
I guess Death Stranding could be a promising sci-fi horror game option if Kojima ever releases it. Or, you know, reveals anything about it. Alright, let's see, let's see. Uh, comics and graphic novels to check out. Uh, that's a good idea. Uh, Gyo by Junji Ito. Great sci-fi horror manga. Real creepy. Real gross. Um, Aliens Dead Orbit. Probably anything in the Alien series that Dark Horse publishes is good uh, sci-fi horror reading. Nameless by Grant Morrison, if you're looking for, like, some outer space culty sci-fi horror goodness. Uh, ooh! Anything by Alan Moore that takes place in his, like, Lovecraftian universes, um, the Neonomicon, or Providence. And then I already already mentioned it in the Best of 2017 episode, but if you haven't read Southern Cross, you really, really should. Now, let me take a moment to give a little shout-out and a sell for Salvage, which is a new sci-fi horror graphic novel written by Martin Green, a Twitter pal of mine, and uh, Mike Lynch. Within Salvage's pages, you will meet the crew of the Noland, a science vessel suddenly marooned and in dire peril after encountering an ion storm while exploring deep, far-flung space. A strange ship comes to their aid, but their rescuers are not what they seem, in fact, they are something much more sinister. Salvage is a fun little read with moody art, lots of visual homages to classic sci-fi horror, like Frankenstein and The Thing. It's got a twisting, eerie plotline, intriguing protagonists, and some great body horror and neat scares. My only complaint about Salvage is that I wanted more Salvage. <laughs> but I suspect that's a lot of people's complaints about good comics. Uh, you can buy Salvage in paperback form, or for your Kindle on Amazon, or it's also available for download on Comixology. I will throw some links up on Twitter for you guys after the episode goes live. And one more thing before we go, I gotta give some attention to my truest love, webcomics. Uh, if you like anthology series and sci-fi horror, you should check out False Positive. It's an ongoing anthology horror comic that features a lot of sci-fi horror stories. You guys know I love Stand Still, Stay Silent and Not Drunk Enough. Damn, what haven't I mentioned before that you guys can check out? I feel like I'm not giving you anything new. Ah, well, I mentioned it on Twitter, but not on the show. Light on overt horror, but definitely worth a read, is Mari Internum by Dershing Helmer. I don't think I've talked about this before. Lifted word for word from the comics about page, Mari Internum is an award-winning online science fiction graphic novel about the isolated inhabitants of the planet Mars and the ability of life to persist through darkness. The story and the art for this comic are just phenomenal. And you can now back the Kickstarter for a complete book. I think the Kickstarter's already funded. But there are stretch goals to be had, and I cannot wait to get my hands on that book. Seriously. I'm so excited it's being published. Alright, well, clearly I need more science fiction horror webcomics in my life. So if you guys know any good sci-fi horror comics that I'm not reading yet and that you think I should check out, send them my way. Thanks in advance. Well, I guess that does it, y'all. Got a favorite piece of sci-fi horror that I didn't mention today? Tell me about it. I want to check it out. Believe me. Want to know more about sci-fi horror or want some further reading? Shoot me a message and I will do my best to give it to you. Remember, I want this to be the best podcast it can possibly be, and I can only do that with your help. Please get in touch with me and let me know what you want to hear about. You can reach me by email at hannahselector, that's H-A-N-N-A-H-S-E-L-E-C-T-O-R at gmail.com, or on Twitter at hannahselector. 
Lucky you, I am way better at Twitter now than I used to be. I'm not replying to multiple people when I reply <laughs> to a tweet. I'm only replying to the person I'm replying to. Um, I'm answering DMs in a much more timely fashion. I've kind of figured out my timeline and how to see only stuff that I want to see. Um, yay, Twitter. Uh, check out the cast on SoundCloud, Acast, iTunes. Don't forget to rate and review and blah, blah, blah. You guys are experts now. You know what it is. Of course, many thanks to everybody who has rated, reviewed, and subscribed. It helps me out, and it helps other people find our lovely podcast here. I'm still working on that Facebook page that I mentioned last week. And yes, oh my god, I know the recaps. What do you people want from me? I am so goddamn lazy. Okay, future Hannah here. She means busy, guys. I mean, yeah, we're lazy, but like, also, heck in life, man, we're busy. But, uh, mea culpa nonetheless. Back to what's left of the show? Sorry, I'll do them, I swear. No, really, I swear I'll do them. Wait a second, did I also swear swear? I feel like I did. Sorry, Mom. Uh, we have reached the end of another episode. Which means, you guessed it, it's time again for our Monster Masher sign-off, a set of lines from a piece of horror media that reveal how you can defeat the evil and get out alive. Remember, if you recognize the lines in our sign-off, hit me up on Twitter and let me know you've figured it out. Or if you have an idea for a Monster Masher sign-off, please, for the love of God, send it to me. I'm so tired of coming up with these on my own. It is a bigger pain in the ass than you might imagine. Yeah. I shall die, and what I now feel be no longer felt. Soon these burning miseries will be extinct. I shall ascend my funeral pyre triumphantly, and exult in the agony of the torturing flames. The light of that conflagration will fade away. My ashes will be swept into the sea by the winds. My spirit will sleep in peace. Or if it thinks, it will not surely think thus. Farewell. Until next time, everyone!